Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. Paul says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, uh, like I said before we started recording, for those that are uh, listening online, uh, we're going to be just covering just a small section of this tonight. Because of the timing of this study, as close as we are to Thanksgiving, there's a direction I think God wants us to go tonight as well. And so there's just one little aspect of this that we're really going to bring out. There's so much more. We're going to spend at least another week or two uh, in this section that I just read when we come back in December. Uh, but for tonight, look at what he, Paul, after he'd heard about their faith and their love toward all the saints and their hope of the glory to come, he prayed a specific prayer that's in great detail. And we're going to break it down in time, but we're going to look at one aspect of what he prayed for them. It says, now that he had heard of their faith, he prayed for their knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So look at that again and what he says here in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, and then it goes on so as to walk worthy. And we're going to get into that in a later study. What we're going to look at tonight is what does it mean to actually know God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so that's what we're going to begin to look down, look at and, and unpack. Let me lay this out for you here, and we're going to illustrate that more later in our study. But God's will is known primarily from God's Word. And again, we're going to look at this more in a bit. But spiritual wisdom and understanding is how we assess and put into practice God's will. Okay? So I'm going to say this to you again. God's will is primarily known through His Word. All right? Spiritual wisdom and understanding is how we assess and put into practice God's will. And what I want to lay out for a little bit right now is the fact that this is spiritually discerned. This whole process of knowing the will of God is not something that you can learn from book learning. It's not something you can get from taking a class. It's not something that if you have the right teacher. Actually, the Bible's very, very clear. I'm going to lay this out for you in the scriptures. If you're going to know the will of God, you have to get the will of God from who? From God himself. It is spiritually received. All right? There's too many people out there trying to determine the will of God through using different formulas and systems and all these different things instead of learning how to hear from God himself. So go with me to put a bookmark here. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and look at verses 9 through 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and look at verses 9 through 16. It says in verse 9, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us, though, through his Spirit. For the Spirit, you see that's a capital S, that's the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might, listen closely, understand the things freely given us by God. Now I'm going to stop you. I don't want us to move on too quick into what we're looking at tonight. Because I really want you to understand, how many times have I heard people quote this verse here in verse 9, but it, it, it says, uh, uh, no eye has seen, no ears heard, no one has ever imagined what God has in store for those who love Him. As if we can't know. What does the very next verse say? But He's revealed it to us through, through what? Spirit. Through His Spirit. 
And then he goes on and says here, now, verse 12, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now, put a bookmark here and, and, and write in your notes, if you're taking notes, Deuteronomy 29, 29. You can go look at it later on. It's a very simple passage. It says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed to us and to our children. All right? There are things that God has not revealed, and he has a reason why he hasn't revealed them, or he doesn't reveal them all at the same time. He reveals them in stages. That's why throughout the scripture, you'll see Paul use this term mystery. Let me tell you a mystery. Let me tell you another mystery. It's not like this riddle that has to be figured out. It's actually what the word can be translated secret. Let me tell you something that, that, that God's revealed that hasn't been known prior to this. As we saw in Ephesians, this mystery was that the Gentiles would be equal with the Jews. You remember? How the Bible talks about that and how all along the Bible said that the, Jew, the Jews would be revealed. God revealed himself to them. But the Bible had all along said that the Gentiles would have God reveal himself to them. But the mystery or the secret that hadn't been revealed yet until the time that Paul was preaching the gospel and the, the, the apostles were preaching the gospel was the mystery or the secret had been revealed at that time, as he said, which wasn't known to those prior, was that the Gentiles would not only be included, but they would be equal. And they would be partakers of all those divine promises. And so there are things that God reveals over time. And so we need to understand some things God doesn't reveal and we have to just trust him on that. There are other things he does, but he does sometimes in stages for his reasons and his purposes. I've used the illustration before, but those of you who have young kids, those of you who have raised little girls, do you tell them about childbirth to come when they're four? No, why not? Why don't you tell your little girls about the childbirth that's to come? They're not ready. Oh, you're going to see that in a little bit, that sometimes God doesn't reveal things to us until we're ready. But he does reveal things to us. Look, he, he's given us his spirit so that we may understand the things freely given us by God. Sometimes God does intend for us to go on this process of seeking out. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, it says, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's to search out a matter is the glory of kings. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says it this way. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the God's glory to hide stuff. But it's the glory of kings to search things out. By the way, does that sound like hide and seek to you? God plays hide and seek with us. Part of how he reveals things is he'll say, I've got something for you, but I want you to come look for it. Isn't that how you got saved? Isn't that how God began his process of saving us? No one can come to the Father unless the God, God starts the game. The Spirit draws them. Oh, but it doesn't work just with him just drawing. What happens? He then says, now you've got to come find me. And you'll find me if you would. Seek for me with all your heart. I will be found by those who seek me. Oh, but by the way, you can't seek me until I begin to draw you first. But it's a game of hide and seek. I'm here, now come find me. In our walks with him, he takes us through this journey of getting to know him more. As we've been talking about, we're trying to grow in, our gra in the grace, in the knowledge of the Lord. And, and we understanding his will. This is something that is spiritually discerned. And he will reveal the things freely given to us. Some things he won't reveal. And we have to just trust him. And we have to be with the, okay with the answer that God says, I'm not telling you. And you won't know till you get here. And we have to be okay with those times that he does that. But there are other times that he says, I will tell you, but you're not ready right now. But when you are, I'll let you know. Other times he says, I want to tell you, but I've designed it in this way in which you seek out to search. Yes, I have an answer for you, but I want you to learn how to seek and to follow and pursue. And so I want you to understand this whole thing of walking with God and being led of the spirit and having spiritual wisdom and understanding can't be put down into a formula you need to understand the truth that this is spiritually discerned. Keep reading in verse, uh, my bad eyes and the bad light here. Uh, verse 12 again. Now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him, and he's not able to understand them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Stop. When you share spiritual truth with people, if they don't get it, 
Is it your fault? Nope. No. Paul said it in another passage in Corinthians. He said, look, if this makes sense to you, it's from God. If we are out of our mind and you think we're just talking gibberish or crazy, we're not worried about it because we're just messengers of spiritual truth. And we got to stop thinking, maybe if I did a better job. No, if they get it, it's spiritually discerned. And if they do get it, does that mean you're a good teacher? No. How many times over my life as I've been traveling and I'll be preaching the word of God and people will go, oh, they run to their pastor and they say, did you hear what he said? And the pastor will come to me later and say, I've been saying that to him for 10 years. And then you come in and say it. Why are you better at it than me? And I'm like, I'm not. It just so happened that I happened to be here at the time that they got it. it had nothing to do with me. Stop thinking you were a bad teacher because you said it and they didn't get it. And then it goes on here and says, the spiritual person, verse 15, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have what? Mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. God desires to teach and to walk with us, and he wants us to know his will. Yes, in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, says you're never going to figure him out. Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. You're never going to figure God out. But then right after that whole section where it says, who's ever given to God that God should repay him? Who's ever been his counselor? Because it's all about him. In chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says, therefore, because this is all about him, and he's allowed us to be a part of it in his mercy. We're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual act of worship. And we're not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. What does he say next? Then you will what? You'll be able to know God's will. The perfect will of God. You got it. You'll be able to know the will of God. He goes from saying you're never going to figure him out, but he will show you what he has you to do. Folks, this whole aspect of being led of the spirit has been turned into things that are unbiblical. This whole aspect has turned into the, this mysticism thing. And, oh, I've got a word from the Lord. And we all of a sudden think that those people are more spiritual and stuff. It's available for all of us who walk with him. Back in, in John chapter 15, Jesus says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. Because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Did you catch that? He's revealing things from the Father to us. And God will continue in that process. Go with me to John chapter 16. Look at verses 12 through 15. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. John 16, look at verse 12. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He'll take what is Mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is Mine, therefore I said He'll take what is Mine and declare it to you. Folks, do you see what He's saying here? When the Spirit comes, He's going to reveal things to us. Now, hang on for a second. What is he going to reveal to us according to this passage? Whatever, what, he hears. whatever he hears. See, the Holy Spirit's role is just to give us insight from the Father. The Father is, if you remember back in John chapter 15, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. My Father is the gardener. He's the one working the, the plant. And we need to understand that in, in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, where the Bible talks about how the Holy Spirit helps us and we don't know what to pray for with groanings unutterable for words. For years, we've been taught that when we're in a situation and we don't know how to pray, this, we are to say, oh, Holy Spirit, would you help me pray? You know what? That's wonderful because the Holy Spirit will help you in that instance. But that's not what that passage is talking about. That passage in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27 it's saying, though, that the Holy Spirit helps us pray, what? In accordance with the will of God. Now, we're not going to take the time to go back there and look at it, but if you write down Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18 and following, you'll notice that there's this flow of thought in the whole context of that passage where Paul says, I know something you don't know. 
He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed. Now, we could look at Paul and say, Paul, how do you know? Wishful thinking? How did Paul know that what's to come outweighs anything we can go through on this life? How come? Yeah, he had actually, remember, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and following. I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. I don't know if I was in my body or out of my body. But I know a man who was taken where? To the third heaven. And he saw things he's not allowed to talk about. Paul, when he wrote this, had already been there and seen heaven. And he says, I know something you don't know. Our present suffering is not even worth comparing. It's the same guy that wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, our light and momentary struggles. And by the way, what kind of a life did Paul live? Yeah, you just you think about all the stuff he went through. He, he called that our light and momentary struggles. Now, Paul says, I know something you don't know. Then he says, creation knows something you don't know. Creation's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Why? Because creation knows that once the rapture happens and we get our new bodies, creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay. You can go back and look in that whole section. And then he says, and those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for the adoption of our sons, the uh, redemption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I've already asked you this before. How come you're homesick for heaven when you've never been? Because the Spirit of God within you knows things we don't know. Likewise, this same Holy Spirit that knows things we don't know, prays for us in accordance with the will of God when we don't even know what to pray for. Paul's actually saying that when that passage is talking about the Holy Spirit helping us pray, he's saying that before it even happens, the Spirit of God has already been praying on our behalf in accordance with the will of God. You want a picture of it? Jesus turns to Peter in Luke 22, verses 31 and following, and says, Simon Satan has asked to sift you to eat, but I've already prayed for you, and my prayer was that you don't quit. I pray that your faith won't fail. In other words, God has a purpose for what he's doing, and he, well, the Holy Spirit's praying already for you in accordance with God's purpose for why he's putting you through this. So, folks, we need to understand, when we talk about the Spirit revealing us the will of God, the purpose of God, and what God wants us to know, we're not going to figure him out, but he will show us how he wants us to respond in accordance with what he's trying to do. I could go into this for hours because this is like one of the passions of my heart because it's time for the church to get back to that being led of the Spirit in a biblical understanding of rest and peace. But how in the world do we... I mean, look at Acts 22. Paul's in a, about to be beaten by these Roman soldiers and he says he's allowed to beat a Roman soldier without a trial. Of course, they freak out when they realize he was a Roman citizen. But in Acts 16, prior to Acts 22, he was in a Roman colony of Philippi and he didn't pull out his Roman citizen card. There's only one answer, by the way, as you look at the story, he already knew. The Spirit must have been saying, keep the card in your pocket. And most of us today as Christians don't really know what it means to have the Spirit say, turn left, turn right, hold your peace, speak up. In this instance, I want you to do it this way. You know how I can prove it to you? I've been preaching for 30 years. I've been a pastor for almost 30 years. And I have spent most of my time as a pastor with people coming and saying, what is the Christian response? In other words, what's the Christian supposed to do instead of what is the Spirit wanting me to do? You see what I'm saying? We just are looking for the formula. We're looking for, here's what you're to always do in these situations. No. And so as we get, get into this, Paul says, my prayer for you was that you would have the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you realize now why we can't go a whole lot further in these verses? Because there's so much here. One more section. Go to John 14. You're in John 16. Look at verses 25 and 26. John 14, verses 25 and 26. He says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and I love this part, He'll bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. A part of the way that God speaks to us is not telling us something new. Yes, there are times that he does in the sense that it's 
it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a direction that ties to, lines up with his word, but ties to where he wants us to go here. But most of the time, it's really just reminding us of things that he's already showed us. And he's saying, this is when you put that into practice right here. You see, again, we Christians have been taught, because as preachers, I actually was doing a pastor's conference and uh, was teaching from my book on the principles of a God-centered church. And I was preaching on principle number one, how God doesn't duplicate a method. And I was showing here he did it this way, but here he did it this way. In the same instance here he did it this way. In the same instance he did it this way, a different way. And you'll never find ever where God duplicates a method. And this preacher came up to me during the break and he said, okay, I'm with you. He said, but I got a problem. He said, we preachers have been taught that how you teach the word is, is you say, how did Jesus respond? And then you teach the people that's how you're to go do it. Or how did Paul handle this? That's what you're to go do. I said, the problem with that is here in one instance, Jesus handled the Pharisee this way and says, who cares? Let him go. Yet in this instance here in John chapter three, he was extremely loving towards the Nicodemus, the Pharisee, which is it. You can't turn how Jesus handled it into a formula. You've got to know what this word of God says. By the way, that's how you're going to know which spirit's talking to you. Doesn't it say in first John chapter four to test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God? Because you'll run into Christians out there that will say, the Spirit of God doesn't speak anymore. God's already revealed everything through His written Word. We just have to just do what it says. Well, then why does the Word of God tell us that we're to test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God? Because if God's not speaking anymore by His Spirit, every spirit that speaks to me is a demon spirit, and I'm not to listen to any of them. But if I'm to test the spirits to see if it is from God, His Spirit must still be speaking. Okay? So Paul says, my prayer, back to Colossians chapter one, my prayer is that you would have the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This word wisdom is a gathering of God's will from God's word and his principles of truth therein. I'm going to say this to you again. This word wisdom could be kind of translated a gathering of God's will from God's word and his principles of truth therein. In other words, it's a keen insight into the true nature of things. Now, there are a lot of people that think they understand the true nature of things, but if their view of the true nature of things doesn't line up with the truth of God's word, who's right? God. He made everything. He knows the true nature of things. You want to get an idea of the true nature of things? Spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. Those truths will eventually prove themselves out. Wisdom is this, well, let me read it to you one more time. It's gathering of God's will from his word and his principles of truth therein. All right. Understanding, though, is good judgment or the skill of putting this wisdom into practice in our daily living. Wisdom is the gathering of the truth. Understanding is actually how to put it into practice. Are you with me so far? You understand? Wisdom is when you gather God's knowledge and his truth and understanding is when you put it into practice. It's the more practical aspect of it. Now, what I want to do in the time that we have left here, and I can already tell we are not going to get out early like I thought we might. But that's okay. I love doing this and not in a hurry to get to my in-laws anyway. But uh, was that on recording? I'm sorry. Too many people here knowing God's will and they want to run immediately to, should I buy the house? Should I not buy the house? Should I marry her? Should I not marry her? Should I take this job? Should I not take this job? And God does reveal his will in those areas. Please do not misunderstand. God does reveal. He'll lead us and guide us in all these things. Remember how Paul prayed as to whether or not he was going to Asia, but the spirit wouldn't let him. He tried to go into Mysia, but the spirit said that's not it. God does lead us and guide us in that way. But before we start running off into becoming people who I believe God's leading me to go this direction or that. Let's start first at looking at whether or not we're going to obey when he speaks. Because he's already in many passages revealed to us his will. And I want to walk you through those tonight and say, how are you doing? See, because we all want to put this knowing the will of God into practice for what we want to do. Let's just see whether or not you're willing to do what he says. Start in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. By the way, I have got a bunch of scriptures, but we're not even scratching the surfaces 
of all the places that the word says that this is the will of God. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. He says, uh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're going to stop. We could go into all the other aspects of this that it goes on to in, in that passage. But for right now, he says, don't be foolish. I want you to understand God's will. What is God's will according to verse 17 and 18? That we're to be filled with the Spirit. But folks, by the way, it's no accident that God, through Paul, uses the illustration of being drunk. You've heard the term under the influence, under the control of alcohol. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you that might have had issues with that in your past, you might have gone home one night and said, I don't know who that was. That was the alcohol talking. It was the alcohol which was in control, in a sense. Don't get under the control of alcohol, which leads to debauchery, but be under the control of the Spirit. This filling of the Spirit. Every time you see the words filled or being filled with the Spirit, put the word control or under the control of there. It's not this thing where we have God just pour out His Spirit upon us, which we've been taught. No, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has already given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. When you got saved, the Spirit of God already came to indwell you. You were baptized in Christ, put into Him and He into you, and you got all of God you're ever going to need. Everything you need already has. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, you're going to see, in Him was the fullness of deity, and we have been given fullness in Christ. Don't let anybody fool you into thinking you need to receive more of God. There's a lot of people out there teaching you need more of God. No, no, no. God's already all in you. Now you need to learn to let him who lives within you have this control over you because he doesn't force himself, does he? Daily we have to lay our flesh on the altar and renew our minds to let the Spirit of God have control. Daily, hourly, we have to let him be filling us. That filling is just simply from a within where he has control. And so what is God's will? That we let his Spirit control us. Oh, man, I could take an hour on Robert's Rules of Order right now. <laughs> Folks, do you realize what an insult it is to the Holy Spirit of God? That in most of our churches, we need Robert's Rules of Order to control us when we get together to seek the will of God. Do you know the Bible says we're supposed to be people under the control of the Holy Spirit, led of the Spirit, which, by the way, manifests itself in gentleness, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, by the way, do you know that the Bible says uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and following, that the acts of the flesh are obvious as well? Dissension, factions, envy, strife, quarreling. What do we see in our business meetings? And so we have come up with this way to control it, where we've got these rules, Robert's rules of order, because... We want to do everything decently and in order. And instead of learning to which is the will of God, let the Spirit of God control us and know when to speak and when to be silent, when to let our brother and sister speak a little longer. Who cares if they only had three minutes? Instead of doing that, we have decided to let these man's rules be what governs us and controls us as we get together. And it's an insult and a slap to the Holy Spirit of God who wants to be in control as we get together. I shared this, by the way, years ago at this one church. Came out of my mouth in the middle of something like tonight when I wasn't planning on going there. Man came looking for me the next night with a gun. And he showed up and said... You said something bad about the Robert's Rules of Order. And I said, yes, and I'll say it again, said it again. I didn't know he was packing at the time. <laughs> and uh, when I finished, he said, well, we're only human. I said, that's the problem. I'm superhuman. And if you've got Christ inside of you, so are you. You just haven't learned to let him have control. Amen. Folks, I just want to leave that out there and just let God take it from wherever it goes and what he wants to do with it. But isn't it sad that one of the clearest ways that the Bible says, here's God's will. And we don't even know what that means to let God have control. So we need all these rules and policies to control us. Let's move on to the next one. Go to Colossians chapter three. 
did you know he was packing, sir? <laughs> it was revealed at that moment. <laughs> when I left the pastor, I was like, I can't be- believe that that guy had a gun. Pastor said, Jim, when you were preaching Sunday morning, 40% of the men had a gun on them in Sunday service. The next Sunday, I'm at a different church. I tell this story to this pastor, and I think he'll laugh. He didn't laugh. I said, why aren't you laughing? He goes, I carry a gun with me to the pulpit. Yeah, baby. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. By the way, did anybody notice a very common thing throughout that whole passage? Thanking, 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 thanking. There's a whole section here of what is the will of God. He wants the peace of Christ to rule. By the way, that word rule could mean umpire. And when people are trying to determine the will of God, this is one of my favorite passages to take them to. Because one of the ways we'll know that the Spirit of God is leading is peace. Even if it's something you don't want to do and your flesh doesn't want to, you have this sense from God that this is the will of God, even though your flesh doesn't want it. Years ago, when we uh, were moving from New Orleans to Chicago to leave the church where associate pastor of Becky and I and, and go to Chicago where God was calling us to be the pastor of this little church up there of 50 folks, went from a church of 1,500 to 2,000 to a church of 50. And as Becky and I were praying through this whole process, we were sitting on the couch in our little apartment there in New Orleans, and Becky started to cry. And I said, why are you crying? She goes, because I know we're supposed to go to Chicago, and I don't want to. It was an interesting mix of, I don't want to go, but there's this peace that this is where we're supposed to go. And folks, he will let the peace of Christ umpire. You know, the umpire says safe or out, yes or no. That's what that word rule means. Let the peace of Christ umpire in your heart. If you go back and take a look at the end of chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, Paul says, you know, I wanted to come to you. But God's left this open door for effective service, and there are many who oppose me, and I'm not supposed to come yet, so I'm supposed to stay. Yet in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, around verse 12, he says, Even though God had opened a door for effective service, I had no peace because Titus wasn't there, and he didn't stay. Wait a minute, Paul, in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, you said that God opened this door, and that's how you knew you're supposed to stay. No, that's not why. Remember, he said, and there are many who oppose me. Even though there were those who opposed him, he still had a peace that that's where he was supposed to be. But even though God opened a door over here, he had no peace. Too many Christians are running through, well, God opened the door. That must be what God... Oh, folks, if we can make decisions by open door or closed door, who needs the Spirit of God to lead us? It's time we begin to develop this relationship of learning to be led of the Spirit and knowing what it means. Not in this mystical, oh, I've got another word. No, but just simply... The peace that passes understanding. And God will lead you and He'll guide you and He'll remind you and He'll be using His Word. Well, let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Finally, brothers, we ask you and urge you in the Lord that as you received, that as you received from us how you ought to walk, And to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Listen, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. By the way, that means sexually. Do you realize that Becky and I, years ago, when we were first married, used to do a lot of uh, uh, dating and sexuality seminars because a lot of kids grow up in the church and no one ever talks to them about sex and dating the way the Bible teaches they should be taught. And they learn their stuff at school or on the street. And a lot of parents are even afraid to bring up the subject. So God, because of how God blessed Becky and I through his grace to be virgins when we were married 
And we went and did dating and sexuality seminars with young people. And we would always, in this weekend retreat, give each of the kids a three by five card. And we told them they could write any question they want on there about sex and dating. And we will answer every single one. Don't even put put your name on it. Just write it down. Put it in this box at the end of the retreat. We're going to answer every single question. And my wife will tell you there's a question that is stuck in our brains. And it's been, what, 20 something years now? We opened this one card and it said this. How come the boys in this youth group pressure me for sex more than the boys outside of church? Guys, we can sit here and talk about, oh, I want to know God's will. God, tell me, should I buy the house? Should I take this job? This is God's will. Your sanctification. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore whoever disregards this disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. All of a sudden the will of God doesn't get as exciting now does it? See, we want to know. Everywhere I go, people say, Jim, teach me how to know the will of God. Because everybody wants to go on to the next thing. How are you doing with what's already been revealed? By the way, as a parent, if you'd been talking to your kids about something, and they said, yeah, but when are we going to go to Disney, what would you say? Let's go back to, did you clean your room? Like I asked you to. And I can tell you right now, as God has been developing my ability to recognize his leading before he goes on to the next thing, he'll always bring you back first to obedience in the things that have already been revealed. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. First of all then, I urge... That supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What's the will of God here, folks? Pray for those who are in authority and leadership. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. He wants all men to be saved. But let's go back to that praying for those who are in leadership. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, folks. This is an area where I have to be honest and say I struggle. There's a certain person that's in leadership in our, our government that I'd be honest with. You, I, but every time his face comes on the TV, I change the channel. I don't want to hear anything coming out of his mouth. But guess what? That's not the attitude that God says I'm supposed to have. But I want to be someone that obeys the will of God. Don't, don't see me up here on the stage thinking that I got this all figured out and I'm now telling you how to act like me because I do the will of God. No, this is an area where God works with me. He says, I'm going to be praying for him. Oh, by the way, and I have been sensing that God has not been telling me to pray the kind of prayers David prayed, like break their teeth. <laughs> God's been saying, Jim, I want you to have my heart for him. And those in authority. But God, don't you know what they're doing? Don't you see what they're doing in our country? God says, I know all that. But that's my responsibility. You are to pray for all in authority. So, folks, let me just tell you, again, this is one of those areas that I have to say, Lord, I want to know your will. He says, OK, read First Timothy 2, 1 through 4 and get that one taken care of and come back. Yes. Right. We have a tendency to lose that, don't we? Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. You don't think your in-laws are on the internet listening? <laughs> it's all right. She's heard it many times from me face to face. First Peter chapter two, we love each other. We have a great relationship. First Peter chapter two, verses 13 through 15. Be subject 
for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Man, this will of God stuff stopped being exciting. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I, I don't know or even care, to be honest with you, which side you fall on what's going on right now in Ferguson, Missouri. But according to the word of God, what is God's will? for the people who may have issues with the, those in authority in Ferguson, Mississippi, Missouri. They submit. They're not to riot, burn buildings that belong to other people and police cars and all this stuff. Folks, we don't realize it, but all of us have this struggle on a daily basis of our flesh wanting to say, yeah, but, but if we don't, then, oh, we've just made our statement about our view of God. And his power and the fact that he said that he keeps track of everything, whether right or wrong. Whose is it to avenge? It's God's. Oh, you know what's sad? There may be churches involved in this process of spiritualizing it and saying we, this is the right thing to do. That's not what the word of God says. We're to submit ourselves. But what? You know what? Has anybody ever thought about the story of Naaman? Remember when Naaman was healed of leprosy? Does anybody know the background? Does anybody know how Naaman found out about the prophet Elisha and that God healed? Does anybody remember how that all came about? Please tell me. There was a servant girl who worked in his... How did she end up in his house? She was taken as a prisoner and as a slave from Israel into this area of Aram. And she was working as a slave for Naaman. And Naaman gets sick, and the girl doesn't sit in her slave quarters and say, Oh, this is awesome. I hope he dies and slow. Because of what he's done to me. She said, Oh, if you only knew that there's a God in Israel. And it's through this servant girl who had been done wrong that she had submitted herself to where she was and what God was doing, and she pointed him to the truth, and Naaman became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in God. Folks, daily we have to do what? Put our flesh on the altar. We have to daily say no to the pattern of this world, but to renew our minds of what is most important. What is this is the will of God. Oh, he will lead you and guide you. He'll show us tonight whether or not we're supposed to go up the 95 and across or whether or not we're supposed to go across and up to avoid the weather. We're praying about that right now and saying, Lord, just show us which way do you want us to go because we're going to be going through some storms tonight. And he'll show us and, he'll, and we'll be fine. But at the same time, there's more to it than that. It's already been revealed. What is the Holy Spirit's job? To remind us of what he's already said. Oh, it's time that we begin to experience understanding God's will with all wisdom and understanding, which is spiritually discerned. One last one, and we'll wrap up with this tonight. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 22. This whole section is on the will of God over and over and over. But look at what it says. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord. How are you treating your pastor? Well, I'll respect him when he... No, that's not what the Bible says. Who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work or the position God has given them. Jim, respect is earned, not according to this passage. It was already earned because God put him in that position. David didn't lay his hand against the Lord's anointed. Was Saul respectable? No. And David even cut off a part of his robe to prove I could have killed you when you were going to the bathroom. And then he was grieved even that he had done that. His flesh kind of got out there a little bit. For, and uh, he acted in the flesh. And then 
He was grieved that he had even done that. We ask you, brothers, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Boy, isn't that something we need to be reminded of when they don't do it as fast as we think they should. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good one to another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Folks, I wrote in my notes, this should be enough to keep us busy for a while. This is the will of God. We've already seen it, a ton of it. And one we didn't even get into, like Mark touched, he wants everyone to be saved. We could, we could go for days and weeks and months just looking at what the scripture says already has been revealed as the will of God. So you want to know the will of God, and you're about to see as we go back to Colossians in a few weeks, you'll see that Paul says, so that you would know how to live in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason he wants us to know the will of God is so not that we buy the right house, but that we would live our lives with the Spirit of God in control in such a way that he's able to live himself through us for his glory. I want to just, as we're getting to this point now, where in two days is Thanksgiving, God's will is that we give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I want to just say this real carefully, and this is something God actually revealed to me today. In being thankful, we need to be careful that our thanks doesn't come from comparison. You remember the, 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 the Pharisee who prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this tax collector. We have a tendency sometimes to thank God by saying, God, thank you that I'm not married to Jim Johnson. I've heard a lot of people say that, by the way. Uh, you, my wife, has heard it too. You know what? It's nice to give thanks, but if you're doing it in comparison, it's going to be a problem either way for two reasons. One, it's either going to lead you into pride because you think what you have is better, or it's going to lead you into a pity party. When you start comparing yourself at all, don't do it. Don't do it. Each of us need to run the race marked out for us. So if you want to become someone who's thankful in all circumstances, you have to keep yourself from using your thankfulness from an angle of comparison. Plus, also, there's something else that God kind of opened my eyes to today as I was just kind of meditating on this passage as I was running and doing all the stuff I had to do today. Just because you enjoy what you've received that others have not received, that doesn't make you blessed and the others less fortunate. Let me explain what I mean by this. If you sit at Christmas this year and you watch what everybody gets, you're going to see someone open a present and they're going to be really excited about something that you go, glad they didn't give that to me. But the person really, like, for example, our daughter Elise, if she gets clothes, her Christmas is it, this is the best. Please don't buy me clothes. <laughs> But what we do is we have a tendency at times when we enjoy the life God has for us to think that if you don't get blessed with what I got blessed, you're, you're receiving less. You know what I've come to realize? As the book of Romans says, to one, they see it this way. To another, this is more important. And each should be okay in their relationship with God. Don't let your thankfulness turn into, Lord, I thank you that you didn't. Do like you did. No, don't have comparison come into your time of thanking. Just thank him for what he's given you and what he's walking you through and who he is and what he's doing. Why? Because of all this stuff that we've just put together. Because he will lead, he will guide, he will reveal when it's time and what we need. It'll always be there. And he's promised us not only an eternity that is beyond our imagining, but he's revealing it to us by his spirit Thankfulness comes to the point where you just can honestly say, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And it not be something we say in church just because that's what everybody does, but because we really honestly believe it. You know what? I've for years thought, man, I love living in America. Thank God I was born and living in America. I wouldn't want to live in other parts of the world. But you know what? I know of missionaries who live in those parts of the world and they know no desire to be in here. As I go up north in, in my travels, I, I love to joke with people and say, I'm so glad because they say, how could you live in Florida? It's too hot. 
And I said, I'm glad you like it in the cold because if everybody lived in the same place, the earth would tip over because I don't want to live up where it's cold. But you know what? For them, they love it. Each of us have different things that God has wired us to appreciate. Don't fall into the pattern of thinking that because you like it, everybody else is supposed to like it. That's why we need to get to that point of learning just to say, Lord, this is a life you have for me and I love it and I thank you. And when you stop comparison or even thinking you're, you're better because you really love what you have and you just assume that every... Have you ever had somebody eat a certain kind of food and say, oh, you got to love this. Here, you got to have this. <laughs> you got to try my meatloaf. <laughs> I don't like it. Well, there's something wrong with you then. <laughs> no. Do you really want to move into thankfulness? Acknowledge that what God blessed you with might not be a blessing to somebody else. And stop comparing and just say, Lord, everything you do is good. And I love you and I trust you. And I'm not going to fall into the petty part of comparing my life with somebody else's. Thank you that I am who you made me. And let it start there and watch how God will give you a fun, fun Thanksgiving. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the fact that your will is revealed over and over and has been through your word already. And as we've seen, this knowledge of your will, you will lead and guide, but you're going to use your word in this process of pointing us in directions and leading us. And there'll be times that it'll just be a sense of peace. We can't even fully put into words. We just sense. And there are going to be times, Lord, as I've come to realize, you even say, choose both and either one's fine with me. Lord, you're going to walk us through this whole journey. And as Paul prayed that they would grow in their knowledge of your will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, I pray that for myself and for all of us as well. And Lord, I thank you that as I just prayed that prayer, you reminded me just now that you've been already praying for that for me ahead of time and for us ahead of time. And so, Lord, thank you for all that we're going to go through in the days to come because you use everything. You've promised to cause everything to end up working for good for those of us who love you and are called according to your purpose. So, Lord, we may not understand it, but you're good. We may not always like it in our flesh, but you're good. Lord, we might ask you to take it away, and sometimes you say yes, and sometimes you say no, and both answers are perfect. Father, may that peace that passes understanding fill our hearts and our minds as we truly live a life of thankfulness. In your name we pray. Amen.